Okay, it's good to see everybody this morning. Kind of a gloomy, gloomy morning, but it's good to be in God's house. We're going to start, uh, we're going to be reading in a minute from John chapter 14. If you want to be turning there. What I wanted to talk to us about this morning is something that I think is misunderstood a lot, uh, is that, and that's the, the work of the Holy Spirit. We, we Everybody's got a pretty good idea of, of God the Father and God the Son, but Sometimes there's some strange notions about the Holy Spirit. So I just wanted kind of an introduction. This is not going to be an exhaustive study by any means, but just to kind of get us going in the right direction. The Westminster uh, Larger Catechism says this, there be three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these are three, and these three are one true eternal God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, although distinguished by their personal properties. So, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all part of the Godhead, all part of the Trinity. 1 John 5, 7 says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and we know that that's John's reference to uh, the Lord Jesus, the God, the Son. So there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And then Matthew, in uh, chapter 28, when um, it's recording the Great Commission, uh, Jesus told the disciples, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost is equated in both of these verses with God the Father and God the Son. So we know that He's the third person of the Trinity, but it's that ministry that He has that, that sometimes is misunderstood. And I think we've probably all seen it, how people kind of go way out uh, with with their ideas of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray before we start. Father, Thank you for allowing us to be in your house this morning. Uh, we want to look today at the, at the scripture passage here in John 14 that is going to lead us to, um, to learn more about the Holy Spirit, about His ministry. And, and uh, Father, as we do, we pray that, that we might come to a better understanding of that, that we might not uh, uh, have a wrong view of this third person of the Trinity. We pray that you'd uh, meet with us, that you would uh, show us from your word what we need to see. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to first. I thought we'd take a look at, at some things that the Holy Spirit is not, and that's why I directed you to John chapter fourteen. First thing is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not an it, as he is often referred to. He is uh, a distinct personality within the Trinity, and so it, it's it's kind of like um, someone referring to a newborn baby. I'll draw the analogy here as it. I hate it when that happens. Someone looks at a beautiful little baby girl and they say, oh, ain't it cute? No, it's not it. It's her. Isn't she beautiful? That sort of thing. Well, people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it sometimes. John 14, if you're there, I'm going to read a few verses. Jesus uh, teaching, uh, starting in uh, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. It's referring to that that comforter is the Holy Spirit, and as He, that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not. Neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth within you, and shall be in you. So he's referred to uh, as the comforter, the helper, the, an advocate, someone who would come alongside the Christians, you know, those who are born into God's family. He's referred to once in, the, in these three verses as the comforter, once as the spirit of truth, and five times as he or him. So he is a person. It's not a, the Holy Spirit's not an it. Jesus told his disciples 
that he dwelt, he said, he dwelleth with you, that's present tense, and he shall be with you, that's future tense. He will never leave us as believers. So the, the, the third person of the Trinity will, that will come to anyone who is saved, he will live within that person from then on. Scripture says that our bodies are his temple, which should um, seek us to take as good a care of our bodies as we can. You remember the Old Testament when they built the temple of Solomon, and, or even the tabernacle for that matter, how much effort they put into constructing it exactly the way it should be and taking care of it. There were, there were people whose job it was to maintain it. And so we should. We should take care of our bodies we, because they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we shouldn't do anything in our bodies that would defile it. You know, it, was, it, would, it would have been a horrible thing for someone to have set up that beautiful tabernacle and then sacrificed an unclean animal on the, uh, the altar, wouldn't it? It would have defiled it. Well, sin can defile our bodies. But the Holy Spirit lives within us. He, he is a distinct person. Second thing, that He is not, He is not passive. But He's very active and He's very involved in our lives. And John 16, if you'll turn over a couple of pages. John 16, I'll start reading in uh, verse 7. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Look down at verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. Jesus said he would. He was going to send the, um, the comforter. He said he would engage in a lot of things in their lives. One, he would convict people of sin. He would guide people to the truth. He would disclose God's message to people. And he would glorify Christ. So he's very active. It's not just this... It's not just this little uh, influence that's over here that we might call the Holy Spirit, and sometimes he, he moves among us. He's very active among us in our lives. He said that, um, um, that we cannot see him, but we can certainly sense the results of his working, can't we? We don't, we don't see the Holy Spirit. It's like the, it's like the wind blowing. We don't, we don't see it. We can hear the effects of it, and we can see the effects of it. Uh, we, we got some notices last night that there, were, there was a lot of storm damage up in the Eden area. Trees down over power lines, trees against houses, trees falling in amongst themselves. That's the effect of the wind, isn't it? No one saw that wind, but they can certainly see the effects of it. Well, it's, it's much the same with the Holy Spirit. He's not a passive uh, force or influence. He's very active in our lives. And that takes, brings us to a third point of something he's not. The Holy Spirit is not imaginary. He's very real and he's very relevant in each of our lives, isn't he? Um, and, and that goes to what I was saying. Many people, because they, they say they can't see the Holy Spirit, well, he must not be real. Maybe he's a figment of our imagination. He, not at all a figment of our imagination, is he? If you want to turn over to Acts chapter 1, we'll read a few verses that, that tell us that a little more about the Holy Spirit. It's only a few pages over. I'm going to read verses 6 through 8 of Acts chapter 1. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. 
and ye shall be my be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus didn't promise an idea called the Holy Spirit. He didn't uh, promise some kind of a, of a vague hope. He didn't promise just an influence of some kind in their lives, but he promised the actual coming of one who would be known as the Holy Spirit to help them. That's what he promised them there. And he said, and when he comes, he's going to bring you power to be my witnesses. That's quite a promise, isn't it? Now, you may think he's talking to these men who um, were, were fishermen at one time. They were just simple people. They, didn't, they, weren't, uh, they weren't exalted rulers or leaders or any, any of that. They're people that he brought from simple occupations and he taught them to become fishers of men, as it were. They were he taught them to be witnesses. And he says, when the Holy Spirit's come, he's going to bring you power. And I want you to remember that these are the same men that not long before ran for cover in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came to arrest Jesus. They were terrified. They had no idea would they be arrested too, the day they come for them. And so they all fled. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're not going to be fleeing anything. And you remember when on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit did come on those people? Those people who had ran for cover, they became the most vocal witnesses for Jesus Christ that we can imagine. They faced imprisonment. They faced persecution. And they still said, no, we're going to be witnesses for Christ. Why could they do that? Because the Holy Spirit had come. And He was now living within them and He was giving them that power. So He's not imaginary. He's very real. And He's very real to these people. The fourth thing the Holy Spirit is not, or should not be, He is not to become a substitute for God. He is part of the Trinity of God, yes, but He is not a substitute for God the Father. He's not a substitute for God or for God the Son. Some people direct all of their attention, it seems, and all of their worship to the Holy Spirit. There are denominations that are very much focused on the, on the Holy Spirit and not on God the Father and God the Son the way they should be. And that's not something Scripture teaches us to do. However, it does teach us that He is part of the Godhead. We've already looked at that, haven't we? He's a distinct person of the Trinity, and He has distinct purposes. Now, you're in Acts, I think. Turn over just a couple of pages to Acts chapter 5. We'll start reading in verse 1. It says, A certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? He said, you're, not, uh, you're lying to the Holy Spirit here, the Holy Ghost. And verse 4, he says, While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto, what is that word? God. He's equating here. First he says you lied to the Holy Ghost. Now he says you lied to God. He equates the two. So the Holy Spirit is a part of, he is a, he is a member of the Trinity. He's not a replacement for God. So we need to be very careful when we worship that we don't, we don't give all of our attention to one person of the Trinity and not another. Even when we pray, what the Scripture teaches us, we pray to God the Father in the name of God the Son and under the influence of the Holy Spirit because He will teach us what we ought to pray for and things that we don't even realize sometimes. He'll bring them to mind to us. So that's some things that the Holy Spirit is not. Now I'd like us to take just a, a quick look at 
why the Holy Spirit came. We'll look at that a little bit more. On the night of uh, Jesus' betrayal and his arrest, he shared uh, some of what was coming with the apostles. It was a very somber meeting that night. He told them that he was going to be betrayed. And he said, I'm going to be arrested. And he was trying to get them ready. He said, uh, I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to this life. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to, be, I'm going to rise from the dead. But afterwards, I'm going to go to my father. And I won't be here with you anymore. That's a somber word for these people who hung on every word he had to say. They were, they were relying on him. He said, when I go, I'm going to be preparing a place for you. And eventually, I'm going to come back and get you. But for this period of time, this indeterminate period of time at that point, I won't be here anymore. So I want you to think that after three years of following him, just try to imagine uh, the impact of, the, uh, of his words, the finality of those words. These are men who, who believed that he was the Messiah, that he was going to set up uh, the kingdom, a renewed kingdom. And here's his words saying, I'm, I'm going to be going away and I won't be with you anymore. And I won't be here to teach you like I have been. And so there, this is, um, it's got to be, it's got to be a very trying time for them because their, their expectations were that when the Messiah came, he would deliver is, uh, Israel from uh, the bondage that the Roman government had him under. And he would restore uh, the kingdom of David and he would restore a time of peace and prosperity that Israel hadn't known for a long, long time. That was their expectation. And they hadn't fully understood that when Jesus had tried to correct those notions, that, no, that's not why I'm here. I'm come to seek and to save that which is lost. I'm here, yes, I'm here to establish the kingdom of God, but it's not going to be an earthly kingdom just yet. Like he said, I'm going to be going away for a while. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back and get you. And so in the midst of all that confusion, he said, but don't, all is not lost. I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send somebody else to be with you. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Up to this point, they didn't know who the Holy Ghost was. They didn't understand that. And so, um, and I'm going to turn back to John chapter 16. I'm going to reread, I think, a couple of verses. John 16, 6 and 7. He said, because I've said these things unto you. Wait a minute. I haven't read these verses yet. I'm sorry. John 16, verses 6 and 7. But because I've said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. He said it was expedient. I've got to go away. I've got to go and take and prepare a place for you. But I'm going to send this Comforter to you. Here's, here's part of what, um, what the Comforter was going to do. When Jesus was here in his earthly ministry, he was limited, wasn't he? There were, people had a limited access to Jesus when he walked the earth in human form. Uh, if he was in Jerusalem, people in Jericho had no access to it because he's in Jerusalem. If he was in Bethany with, uh, at the home of uh, Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus, then people in Damascus could have had no access to him, right? Because he was limited by his human body. The Holy Spirit wasn't going to have any limitations like that. He said, I'm going to send you a comforter. And he's going to live within you. Your body's going to be his temple. And every one of you will have instant access to him. You may not have been able to, to reach me every time that you wanted me, but he's going to be everywhere at once. And he's going to indwell and empower every one of you to be witnesses for me. 
Now stop and think about that. Here's these people that Jesus has been sharing these dark thoughts. I'm about to go away. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again, and then I'm going to ascend to my Father in heaven. And I won't be here with you. That made him sad, but now he said, but there's good news. I'm going to send you another comforter, and he's never going to leave you. He will always be with you. Now, that's really good news, isn't it? And he said that's why the Holy Spirit was going to come. So we've seen some of the things that the Holy Spirit is not. We've seen, taking a look at at why he came. Now I'd like for us to just take a a look at at some of what the Holy Spirit does. And I want to look at it in two categories. What the Holy Spirit does for lost people, and then what the Holy Spirit does for saved people. Because the Holy Spirit does do things for lost people. And I want to look at that first, if we could. We know that the Holy Spirit indwells Christians, but He's not limited to just working among us. He he works among all people. He works all through the world. After all, He's God. He can't be limited, can He? He is all places at once. 2 Thessalonians uh, 2, verse 7, you don't have to turn there, but it indicates that he is, He's even working now restraining sin in the world. Isn't that amazing? It, he's not stopping it. Clearly, the Holy Spirit's not stopping sin from taking place. It is continuing, uh, and it's continuing to build. And it seems like uh, the longer this world exists, the worse the sin problem becomes. But only, imagine this. How bad would it be if the Holy Spirit wasn't here restraining it? How bad will it get when all of the Christians are taken out and only lost people remain and the Holy Spirit is not here working through us to restrain sin? Because our influence does have an impact on people, doesn't it? Not everyone will listen to our our, our testimony. Not everybody will listen to us when we teach that that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, because there are things that are wrong versus things that are right. But when we're not here anymore, imagine how bad it could get. Uh, John chapter 16, you're, I think you're already there. I'm going to read, starting in verse uh, 8, some verses. It says, And when He has come, so referring to the Holy Spirit, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on Me. Of righteousness, because I go to My Father and you see Me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have, met, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you in all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. So when the Holy Spirit uh, comes, he's going, to, uh, he's going to convict the world. One of the things He does is He's going to convict the world of sin. One thing to note, that's the Holy Spirit's job, isn't it? That's one thing we have to remember as Christians. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of sin. It's not my job. I can point out sin to someone, but I can't convict somebody. It's not your job to convict somebody of sin. It's not anyone else's job to convict people of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's work. The only thing we can do is point out what the Scripture teaches, and then the Holy Spirit can come along and put his finger on something in someone's life and say, that's sin. And the reason is, we're, not, we're just not adequately equipped to do that job of conviction, are we? Only he is. And that, that, that term, convict, it's a legal term. We know it is. It's when, um, it's when a judicial verdict is pronounced upon someone where two things happen. 
First, their guilt is defined, and then their guilt is fixed. So when the Holy Spirit, uh, or when when the legal system convicts someone, they say this is the definition of what has happened. And they point to, to the, uh, the, the convicted person and say, you're the one guilty of that. You're the one who did it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He fixes sin. He fixes the fact in the, in the mind of a person who is lost, and he says, you are a sinner. You are guilty of this, and you are the one who is guilty of this. That's what he does. He doesn't just accuse people of sin. We could do that, couldn't we? If we tried to convict somebody of sin, oh, you lousy whatever. You're a bum. You've done this. You've, you've stolen. You've done whatever else. The Holy Spirit doesn't just accuse people of sin. He brings to people an inescapable sense of guilt. They can't get away. They can wiggle, but they'll never get away from the Holy Spirit. He brings to people that inescapable sense of shame for the sin that they've committed. He did that to every one of us, didn't he, before he saved us. And he brings to people an inescapable sense of their helplessness to save themselves. That's the part that we could never do to someone. We could accuse someone of, of sin maybe, but we can't bring them to that, sin, that point where they recognize that that guilt is laid on them and they are helpless to do anything about it. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he convicts of sin. And then he, pre, he, he presents an open and shut case that they can't get away from. When the Holy Spirit begins to convict somebody, they don't get away from that. He's, he's relentless. Like, you did this. You were guilty of this. You are under the condemnation of a holy God. And that's what we pray for when we pray for someone to be saved, isn't it? Because we want them to come under that convicting power of the Holy Spirit. So that's one thing that he does. He convicts the world of sin. The second thing that we see here in these verses, he convicts the world concerning righteousness. You see, the Holy Spirit, like, a, like any good prosecutor, he presents facts and evidence. That's part of the reason we don't convict people of sin. We don't try to do that because we can let our emotions get in the way. But the Holy Spirit, he's not, it's not an emotional thing for him. He's simply pointing out to a sinner facts and evidence that they can't get away from. Again, they can squirm all they want, but they can't get away from that. He leaves no room for personal doubt. For a person who's lost to doubt, well, you know, I'm not really guilty. No, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave that room. He says, you are guilty. And again, he's relentless, and he can bring that. He removes all hope in the, in the mind and the heart of a lost person that they can do anything to please a holy God. And that's where a lost person needs to get to, isn't it? They need to realize, I can't. I can't please a holy God. I'm, I'm guilty. I have committed this sin. I have this sin nature, and there's nothing I can do. He makes it very clear what we read in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings that realization to people. He convicts anyone who gets saved. Every one of us felt that, didn't we? The Holy Spirit putting on our, on our minds and our, and our hearts. He, the, the Holy Spirit, it's almost like he says, the best I can say for you is you're a lousy lost sinner. I can fix that for you. You put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that can be fixed, but you can't fix it yourself. And you don't know anyone on earth who can fix that for you. And so that's what he does. He says you are guilty. He says you're lost. He says you are a sinner. People don't like to hear that. He says you are separated from God and there's nothing you can do to close that gap. 
He says you are spiritually depraved. He says you're without hope. And he says you're unrighteous. He doesn't seem to have a real good opinion of lost people, does he? And he brings that opinion to him, and he says, this is who you are. And then he says, he doesn't leave it there. He says, what you need, what you have to have, is the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ in order to be reconciled to God. So he doesn't leave it there. He does, the Holy Spirit comes, and it sounds really dark. He's convicting people. He says, you're guilty. You're, you're a lousy, lost sinner, and there's nothing you can do to help yourself. But there is one who can help you if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. So he convicts the world of, uh, concerning sin. And John says he, um, he convicts the world concerning righteousness. And then he convicts of judgment. Again, he brings lost people to recognize that a holy God has to judge sin because God wouldn't be holy if he didn't. If he just looked the other way and said, uh, that's okay, I know who you are. Now I might do that. Robin accuses me of doing that to our granddaughter a lot. That, well, you just overlook the princess. Well, then maybe I do, because she is the princess. Her brother is not the princess. Her cousin is not the princess. She is, right? But that's not what the Holy Spirit does. He, he says a holy God has to convict of sin. A holy judge has to judge it at that point. Or he wouldn't be righteous anymore. He brings the lost people to, to recognize that that they have clearly sinned and that they deserve that judgment. That's what a lost person needs to understand. They deserve the judgment. And by the way, I do. I do make it clear to Evie from time to time, that's wrong. You can't get away with that. You've got to stop that. That's wrong. Every day that passes, the Holy Spirit, he, 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 he tries to convince the lost sinner that every day that passes brings them closer to death and a final judgment. Now that's something we can't help with. We can share that word, that witness with people, can't we? We just can't convict them. We can share the facts with them, but the Holy Spirit can bring it a lot closer to than we can. And why is that important that He does this? Why is it so important that He convicts the world of, of concerning sin, He convicts the world concerning righteousness, and He convicts the judgment? Why is it important that we know this information? Because it relieves us uh, so the pressure that, uh, that some Christians have, the pressure that some pastors have, the pressure that some evangelists have, that they seem to think that it's their job to get people under conviction. It's their job to save people. It's not our job. It's the job of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we should be praying for uh, day after day. Our job isn't to convict or to save. Our job in the court of heaven, if you want to call it that, is just be witnesses. That's what we've been called to do. We can tell people, and this is what the Lord did for me, we can tell people, I used to be a sinner, and the Holy Spirit came and He convicted me of that sin, and He made it clear in no un uncertain terms that I was lost, I was a miserable sinner, and I faced the judgment of God. And He brought me to a place where I recognized I needed a Savior. We can do that. That's, that's the job of witness. We can't attempt to, to fill the job of the Holy Spirit, can we? Because I can tell you this, attempting to fill God's role in anything will never end well, will it? Because we're just simply not equipped to do it. We are not gods. We are His children. So we have to let that sink in sometimes, do we? don't we? So that's what the Holy Spirit does among non-Christians. He does some things among Christians as well. First is, He indwells us. He does uh, things for us that we could never do for ourselves. 
He reminds us of things that we need to remember from the Scriptures. He, he teaches us things from the Scriptures. He, uh, we'll, we'll go back to John chapter 16. We'll start reading in verse 13. It says, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are Mine. Therefore said I that He shall take of Mine, and shall show it unto you. He says the Holy Holy Spirit makes the Scriptures clear to us. That's the concept of illumination. When we're reading a passage of Scripture, things that might not make any sense to unbelievers when they're reading a passage of Scripture, uh, they become clear to us when the Holy Spirit illuminates them to us. He opens our eyes, so to speak, our spiritual eyes, so we see things and it makes sense to us. We understand what the the point uh, that the, the Lord is trying to make in the Scriptures when the Holy Spirit illuminates them. He gives us a desire for the Scripture, doesn't He? Did, did anyone here have a desire, a, a big desire to read the Bible before you were saved? might have gone to Sunday school and may have given you an assignment. Read these verses. And it was cool to, to read uh, Psalm 23, and we've all memorized that probably as part of public school education. At Christmas time, we, re, we would memorize the, uh, the Christmas story in Luke. But before we're saved, we don't have a lot of desire to read or to study the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit gives that to us. He, he makes us want to dig in. To, to read it, to study it, to meditate on it. And if we come to a difficult passage, the Holy Spirit can lead us to a point where we say, hey, I'm not just going to pass over that. I'm going to dig a little bit. I'm going to look at my concordance because it tells me some other verses that I can look at that maybe shine light on that. And so the Holy Spirit does that for us. And He even gives us a desire to try to memorize Scripture. Some people, I, I admire some people who have the, the ability they have to, to memorize Scripture because I don't, I don't have that big of a... I've always had a hard time memorizing things. Um, trying to learn things for tests in school, it's tough trying to memorize all those facts and get all the dates, especially in history class and all those kind of things. Chemistry class, trying to remember the elements and how you can combine elements to make these compounds and get all of this. I understand H2O, that makes sense to me. Two molecules, hydrogen, one of oxygen, that's pretty cool. But some of the, when you get some tetrahedron, such and such going on, I I don't remember all that stuff. And so it's hard sometimes for me to to memorize Scripture, but the Holy Spirit makes me want to. He makes me want to know what the Word of God says. And He does that for all of us. He helps us to understand events in our lives that wouldn't make sense to us otherwise. You know, there, there are things that happen to us, and we think, why in the world? Why did that? Why did that happen? I don't understand. Well, things seem to be going so well in this direction, and suddenly there's a different direction I'm supposed to be going in. Well, the Holy Spirit does that to us, and He helps us to understand what those new, what that new path might mean for us. He comforts us when we're afraid, doesn't He? And we do get afraid, even even grown adults who who should know better. We face fears sometimes. Sometimes they may be unrealistic fears. They may be just irrational fears and the Holy Spirit can help us get through those and say here I'm with you don't, don't forget I'm always with you I'm not going to leave you I'm, I'm dwelling within you and he gives us peace according to Philippians chapter 4 that passes all understanding we, we can't we can't explain where that peace comes from sometimes can we scripture teaches us uh, in, the, in the Proverbs we're told that uh, 
that the, the Holy Spirit of God can bring us to a place where we will sleep and we will have peace. And we'll wake up the next morning uh, and still experiencing that peace. We don't have to lose sleep over problems, over fears, over uh, what could happen. The Holy Spirit can give us peace to, to sail right along through things. It doesn't mean that, that everything's going to be all peachy keen and, and, and all flowers. Life is going to be tough sometimes, isn't it? But the Holy Spirit of God can get us through that. He can give us peace when we're going through the trials. Second thing that He does among Christians we're told here is He glorifies Jesus Christ. He glorifies our Lord. He doesn't seek to be worshipped alone, all by Himself. He says, Jesus said, He's going to come. All that, that belongs to the Father belongs to Me. And the Holy Ghost is going to come along. The Holy Spirit is going to come along. And he's going to show those things to you. And He's going to point people to Christ. He, that's the promise. And that's what He does, isn't it? And when he's convicting people, he's pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. When there are things going on in our lives that we don't understand, and maybe it, it, there's turmoil, he points us, look to Christ. He doesn't say, look at me, I'm here with you all the ways. He says, look to Christ. He told the disciples early on, remember what Jesus told you. Remember, excuse me, what, what you have learned in the Scriptures. Keep going back, keep looking there. That's what he does. There's some warnings along these lines uh, for Christians, and I, I take these from a, a book um, by Chuck Swindoll. It's called uh, the book is Growing Deep in the Christian Life, and he had some warnings related to the, the Holy Spirit in there. He says, one, if a ministry glorifies itself instead of Christ, the Spirit of God is not in that ministry. We would agree with that, wouldn't we? If, the, if there's any ministry that tries to bring glory to itself and pump itself up and look at us, look how good we are, look how big our church is, look how, how the Lord is bringing people in, we must be doing something right. If that ministry is glorifying itself and not the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's not there because the Holy Spirit is always going to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Second thing he says is if a ministry leader is getting glory instead of Christ, the Spirit of, not, of God is not empowering him. It is not the, the, it's not the position, it's not the purview of any Christian leader to, to draw glory to himself, is it? That's an ugly thing, because we've all seen it happen, haven't we? We've seen people who, sometimes they might have a, a very humble beginning, and suddenly their ministry takes off, and there's people flocking, and they're rich all of a sudden, and they've got great, huge cars and mansions, and we've heard in the past of... Uh, pastors having gold-plated plumbing fixtures and all of this kind of that. They're drawing attention to themselves. They're trying to get glory to themselves. The Holy Spirit isn't in that ministry. We can be sure of that. The third thing that Swindoll said, he says, any ministry effort where someone other than Christ is being glorified is not being led by the Holy Spirit. It may be led by something, but it's not the Spirit of God because He'll always point us to the Lord Jesus. Then he says, any ministry where the Holy Spirit is emphasized and magnified above Christ, he's not in it. And we have seen that sometimes. Sometimes we'll, you may see a, a ministry where uh, something that is called revival breaks out. And maybe they have meeting after meeting after meeting and lots of people are flocking to it. And they're emphasizing the Holy Spirit working more than anything else. The Holy Spirit's not in that. He's going to always point people to Christ. And then the last thing Swindoll had to say, he said, the Holy Spirit shall glorify Christ. That's according to John 16, 14. That's the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will always glorify the Lord Jesus Christ.
So just to wrap up, uh, the Holy Spirit, He was given to us as a comforter. He was given to us as Christians as a helper, as one to walk alongside us, right there with us day after day after day, in the grind of every day of daily life. He's always there with us. He doesn't just uh, come among us and, and mingle during a church service. He lives within us. That's a, that is a glorious promise. If we, if we ever completely grip that or grasp that truth, it'll get us through a lot of things, won't it? He illuminates Scripture to us as a guide for everything we do. And we really should. Every, every action we take, every thought, every, everything we say, we ought, really ought to be guiding that by the Scriptures to make sure we're honoring the Lord, shouldn't we? And He leads us to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in everything we do. Because if we're not doing that, we're as Christians, we're, we're not fulfilling the Lord's will for our lives, are we? So those are just some of the things uh, that the Holy Spirit does for us. And I think it's good for us to, to keep that in mind sometimes. Uh, the, the, just what ministry He does have for us and what it is He does for us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for allowing us to look at these uh, passages in Your Word. Uh, they're, they're telling us, they're giving us information we need regarding the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we are so thankful uh, that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ did come and He did live a life, a sinless life for us. He, he died a sacrificial death for us and then He ascended into heaven after His resurrection, all according to the Scriptures. But He didn't leave us here alone. He sent a comforter for us. The Holy Spirit has come and we're told that as Christians, as believers, He lives within us and He guides us day by day. He walks alongside us. He is our comforter. And we are so thankful for that. And we pray, Lord, that, uh, that we might worship him certainly as a member of the trinity but we we pray father that uh, that we would would hold all three members of the trinity father son and holy ghost in in reverential awe that we might worship you that we might try to serve you in every day of our lives that you might be glorified from everything we say or do we pray the same for this church that everything that is said and done here that it might be for the glory and the honor of our lord jesus christ May the Holy Spirit move among us today, Father. If there's anyone here in the 11 o'clock service that's lost, we pray they might come to know Jesus Christ as a Savior, as their personal Savior, as a result of what is said and done here in this place today. And we commit it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.